Hey everybody, welcome back to my channel. My name is Dana Trupiana and I cover infamous gangsters every week in a true crime-like format. My show, Mob Times, comes out every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Well, it's Tuesday, it's 10 a.m., so here I am. If you're new here, welcome. And if you've been here before, I hope you guys already know how much I love and appreciate you guys. I love and appreciate all your support. I love talking to you guys in the comments. I love hearing your opinions. I love it that when I put out polls, you guys respond. I'm starting to see comments on all my videos. It's a really, really great thing to see. And I just really appreciate everybody that's been there and does what they can to kind of show that I'm not on my own out there. I'm not making these videos for no reason. Like there's people out there that watch it, that enjoy it. And I just really appreciate that. This week is gonna be super fun because we're gonna be covering one of my favorite mafia members of all time, if not the favorite mafia member of all time. A while back, I promised that I was gonna reshoot the first four gangsters that I recorded episodes for. And Albert Anastasia is number four, the very last redo. I already re-recorded John Gotti, Lucky Luciano, and Al Capone. So Albert Anastasia is the final mobster that's going to be re-recorded on this channel. And I cannot wait to go through it today because I love Albert Anastasia. He's definitely my favorite. I even have a picture of him up behind me. See it? Right there. That's Albert Anastasia. My man. I'm really excited to go over him again because he's really cool and he deserves the two shows. Also, to add a topper onto this, just because Anastasia is probably my favorite mobster, I am not going to kid myself. There is so much information here that I'm not going to sit here and play myself and pretend that I could fit this all into one episode. This is 100% going to be a two-part episode, and it might even roll into three. I'm not really sure. I'm just going to record the whole thing and see how long it is and how many pieces I have to chop it up into. So get ready for a long episode and multiple episodes. I hope you enjoy Anastasia as much as I do, because if you're a day one, you're going to be watching more episodes. This is going to be, if there's three parts to this, you're going to be watching four because you've already watched an Anastasia video on this channel. So you got the original and then now you got part one, two, three. So I hope you guys love him or at the very least love hanging out with me. I put a poll out this weekend, or I think I put it out yesterday, and it was pretty much asking if I made a three-part episode about Albert Anastasia, would you watch? And I put an option, I wouldn't watch any, I would watch one part, I would watch two parts, I love Anastasia, I will be there for all three parts, and then I put an option of I don't really care about the gangster, I just come to watch you and I watch anything that you make. And I only got five votes, but that's okay because all five went into the last two. So there was, I think, two that said that they love Anastasia and they would be there for all three parts. And then there was three that said, I love you and I'll watch anything you make. So it was really sweet. It made me feel really good. And I appreciate everybody that took the time to vote. So before I get into it, I do want to mention that this episode is 110% totally and completely different than the first episode I recorded. 
I told you guys that I wanted to re-record my original four Mafia members for a few reasons. I had a garbage camera at the time. My mic was halfway decent, but it was plugged into one of those, like, mixer board boxes, so it kind of messed up the sound. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. I was, like, super shy on camera, but my number one reason for wanting to re-record is that I have a completely different way that I go about research now. I can't lie and say that there isn't a significant difference in my knowledge of the underworld now than there was a year and a half, two years ago when I recorded it the first time. Obviously, that amount of time of making episodes and covering gangsters, you're going to learn a lot. And not just about recording, but about the Mafia members that I'm recording videos for. On top of all that, I'm going to use different sources. A lot of what I talked about in the first episode was like Wikipedia and just very basic. I scratched the surface with the research I did the first time. A lot of what I'm reviewing today is not those basic scratching the surface research places. I had a much different view of the FBI and their role and what they do. I had a much different view of the media and the way that they report facts. I assumed that if something was printed, well, it must mean that it's true. And I've definitely learned the flaws in that logic since then. So if you're assuming like, oh, I already watched the first episode about Anastasia. I don't really have to watch this one. It's probably the same episode, just with different lighting. Like, no, absolutely not. Trust me. Stick around and find out. I promise you will not regret it. This is 100% different. So just hang around. Just do it, okay? You know you like me. By the way, I'm going to do my best to try to get rid of it before I put the video out. But I'm very sorry if you hear something. I don't know what's going on in New York today. It's only like 63 degrees, but it's been pouring all day. And for some reason, my house has been so friggin' hot today. So I have my AC on and hopefully that'll do the trick, but it's going to make a little noise. So as I said, I'm going to try to get rid of the noise before it goes out. But if you hear a little buzzing or something or the sound sounds a little different, I very greatly apologize, but I'm going to pass out while filming this if I don't have an air conditioner. Thank you very much. So before getting into the episode, I do want to mention that my subscribers are still freaking low. I have a decent viewership, like my videos haven't been promoted for the last few episodes, and I'm still hitting over a thousand views, which is amazing, and I love you guys so much for that. But I'm still showing something crazy, like 95% of the people that view my videos are not subscribed to my channel, and I just hit 4.5 thousand subscribers, okay? That is 4,000 500 subscribers. Guys, I am two years into this. (laughs) Look below you. If you are not subscribed and I am talking to you too, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening, I'm talking to you too. You can subscribe to my channel on there as well. If you are not subscribed, please subscribe. It means so much to me and my channel if you subscribe, and I would just, I would really appreciate it. I don't ever ask you guys to donate anything. I don't have a Patreon because I can't bring myself to, like, try to get money out of you guys. But if you really want to do something for me, just 
do the basics, like subscribe, follow, comment, like, watch my videos. That is the best type of support that you can give. And I'm forever grateful for those of you who faithfully do that for me every single episode. I love you guys so much. So when I do my multiple part episodes, I don't really give life updates because we have so much to cover and I don't want to take up too much of your time. Like this is going to be a long episode, even though it's going to be three pieces. Each of those pieces is going to be long. A quick update I'll give you without getting into one of my usual 15-minute rants that I usually give at the beginning of these episodes. I am going through some huge money drains right now. I'm renovating my kitchen. I'm talking like gutting the entire thing and starting from scratch renovating. And I'm doing my bathroom. My bathroom isn't being gutted. I'm just removing the bathtub and putting a shower in. And I just redid the decorations. I'll put a link to the video that I did that you can see the decorations redo that I just did. I posted it on TikTok. I would have posted it on YouTube into the YouTube shorts, but YouTube shorts are only allowed to be one minute. And I can't even like get a sentence out in one minute. So the only time you'll see a short from me that's like one minute, you're going to see pieces of my videos that are cut out and those will go up as shorts. But I just I can't do a video in under a minute. Like when I'm making a video, I just don't have it in me, man. I really just don't have it in me. But I did put a video up on TikTok because videos on TikTok can be up to 10 minutes So you'll see it on TikTok. I'll put a link in the description if you want to see what I just did to the bathroom because I'm really excited about it. It's gorgeous. I love the changes that I made. I changed the lights. So like the hardware lights. I have one above my mirror and one on the ceiling. I changed my mirror. So the mirror has a light around it, like one of those mirrors that have the LED lights around it. I changed the shower curtain. I put a few hooks up because my entire bathroom was missing goddamn hooks for some reason. And now all that's left to do is to just change the bathtub out because my bathtub is all messed up and I don't want a bathtub because, ew, who takes baths? So I just want to put a shower in. But yeah, each of those projects is a lot of money. Like I'm looking at like 60 grand to do friggin' renovations in my house, which is crazy. If you're not a longtime subscriber, you may not know this. So I was in the military and I was stationed in Georgia. My mom died while I was in the service. And when I medically retired from the military, I came back to my house that I own in New York. My parents and I bought a house together a while back, but like they paid for everything. The only reason that my name was on it was because I had really good credit. So I helped to get a lower rate when we were getting the mortgage. Well, when she died, I ended up moving to the house and I moved into the main part of the house and the house wasn't really great when we got it. My parents did some work to it, but there's still a lot more that needs to get done. So it's ridiculous. Renovating the kitchen and making these small changes that I'm making to the bathroom is just small steps in the direction that I need to go to get this house really nice. And I'm going to get there one day. One gigantic renovation at a time. But it's depressing because like when I lived in Georgia, I had a gorgeous house. I lived on goddamn Wall Street, okay? I lived on Wall Street. I had a one-bedroom apartment that I paid over $4,500 a month for. 
So going from that kind of stuff to living in a house that needs renovations everywhere, it's frustrating. It's definitely frustrating and it takes a toll on you, but I'm getting there. I'm taking the steps that it takes to get it done. Okay, so as I said, I'm not going on a 15-minute rant. I just wanted to give you guys something quick and a quick life update. So that is what's going on with me. I am sinking money through the nose into renovations. But let's go ahead and get into today's episode, shall we? Alberto Albert Anastasio was born on September 26, 1902, in Tropea, Italy, which is in Calabria. But the family soon moved to Pargelia. While that is still in Calabria, it's just a different area of Calabria. And they would spend the rest of the time that they lived in Italy in Pargelia. His parents, Bartolomeo Anastasio and Mariana Polistenia, had nine children together. There were eight boys, Rafael, Francesco, Alberto, Antonio, Giuseppe, Gerardo, Luigi, and Salvatore. The one and only daughter that they had, that poor freaking girl with eight brothers and no sisters, was named Maria. There were three more children born, one boy and two girls, but sadly they died at a very young age. His father, Bartolomeo, was a railway worker, and he passed away around the time of World War I, and he left Anastasio's mother to raise all of these children completely on her own. Obviously, with this many children and the father being the sole breadwinner and him passing away when all the kids are so young, the family ended up living in poverty. Albert Anastasio dropped out of school in the fourth grade. He and all of his siblings left school at a really young age in order to work and try to provide for the family that has little to no revenue at this time. And he immediately started working on the water. His mother was on her own and she could not afford to put food on the table. So if these kids didn't leave school at such a young age... I don't know what would have happened. They could have starved to death. We really just don't know. So all of them left school really young and went, got jobs and provided for the family. As a teenager, Anastasio started working on a tramp steamer. A tramp steamer is like a type of ship that delivers bulk cargo internationally. On September 12, 1917, Anastasio is working on a steamer, the SS Sardinia, and he and his brothers Antonio, Giuseppe, and Gennaro were working as deckhands on a freight train. So there's a train on the steamer, and they're working on the train. So train is on the steamer, they're on the steamer because they're working on the train. As the ship moved through New York, they stopped for a short shore leave, and the shore leave was for 12 days. When the brothers did not arrive back to the ship 12 days later, they were listed as deserting seamen, and they remained in America as illegal immigrants, and they hid with relatives until they could find work. A lot of sources get a lot of this information wrong. I don't know why. 
but it's so differently reported depending on where you go. It's widely reported that he only arrived to America with two of his brothers. And it's also widely reported that he arrived in America in 1919. It's reported that he jumped off the ship and swam to shore. And that's even what I reported the first time I did this video. But reports from the FBI report this exact information. So I'm pretty confident that the information that I'm telling you now is correct. It was September 12th, 1917. It was him on shore leave, not him jumping off a boat and swimming to shore with no shoes on. They got off a boat on shore leave. It was not so dramatic. And he did arrive with all three siblings. Not all three. Dude has nine siblings. But three men, Antonio, Giuseppe, and Gennaro, these three are the ones that came to America on this boat and stayed in America. So these three brothers, they're inseparable. Three of the brothers began working as longshoremen on the Brooklyn waterfront. And the Brooklyn waterfront at this time is in the middle of a turf war. And the turf war is between the Irish and the Italian mafias. Everybody fought for the position of hiring boss. But once they got the job, it was lethal. There were 12 unsolved homicides in one location in a 10-year period, and all 12 of those people that were killed were carrying the title of hiring boss. Nobody testified about the scuffles that went down because most of the people that worked there were illegal immigrants, and they were mostly from Italy or Ireland, so they had illegally immigrated to America, and... They just didn't want to go to jail for testifying. And the scary thing about testifying is a lot of times if you tell the policeman on the scene what you saw, you'll end up having to testify in court. And the second you walk into that courtroom, that's where the problems begin. That's where they start looking into you. They look into your story. They see that you're not a citizen and you end up getting deported. So nobody opened their mouths and nobody ended up getting arrested for these 12 homicides. They were all unsolved. His brother Salvatore moved to New York shortly after these four, but he did it legally. When he came to America, he entered the priesthood, which is a pretty stark difference from what Alberto is doing. Alberto was a short, stocky, muscular man with gigantic hands, and people would say that he reminded them of a bull. He started a gang filled with thieves at the age of 18 years old, and these thieves would work on the dock and they would steal incoming cargo. Members of this gang included Joe Adonis and Vincent Mangano, and they worked together, and these boys reinvented the way that labor racketeering was done on the waterfront. Like, it was completely different when they first got there. They did it different, and they did it right. They made so much money stealing from these ships, and they knew what they could get away with stealing, what people wouldn't notice being stolen. They didn't want to lose their jobs. They didn't want to be reported for stealing. So they knew what they could take, what they couldn't take. And he just became a genius with it and made a lot of money. While working on the docks one day, Anastasia got into a fight with a man that was known as Joe Torino. The newspapers later started calling him George Torello, but it appears that his actual name was Joseph Torella. 
He was a fellow longshoreman who was another gang boss on the docks. He demanded payment from anybody that engaged in any type of criminal activity on the Brooklyn waterfront. The two got into a pretty explosive fight because, first of all, Anastasio is not the type that's going to turn around and pay somebody for the ability to pull off criminal endeavors. He's just not going to. He's going to tell you to go fuck yourself. On top of that, they fought over which one of them had the right to unload a specific ship that had precious cargo on it. So now they had been fighting for a while because Anastasio is not paying this man. And they get into this specific fight because there's this specific ship and Anastasio wants his gang to unload it because he wants his gang to steal this specific precious cargo. And Torella wants his gang to get it. So now they're in an altercation. On May 17th, 1920, the two are fighting. It's a big spectacle. And Anastasio ends up beating Torino almost to death in an extremely bloody, brutal battle that ended with Torino being shot and killed. See, it's super weird because the first time I did this episode, I reported that Anastasia had beat this guy to death with his bare hands. I still see a lot of mentions where witnesses say that Anastasia stabbed him or strangled him or beat him to death. The only thing that made me switch it over to shot is because Salvatore Anastasio wrote a memoir. And in this memoir, he says that Torello was shot. But I'm seeing a lot of places that he was either beaten or stabbed to death still. Salvatore even goes so far as to say that it wasn't really Albert that killed Torella. And the real man that shot Torella confessed to Salvatore that he was the one that shot him. But the story varies from place to place, and it is entirely possible that Salvatore's translation was off because he originally wrote his memoir in Italian. So he could have written, oh, this person said that he was the one that actually stabbed him, and it was written in English as shot. So I don't really know how dude died, but he died, and it was Anastasia who took the blame for it, let's say. So now we got Torella dead. Salvatore is saying it wasn't really Albert Anastasia, but for all intents and purposes, it's Anastasia that did it. So now after killing this dude, Anastasio, he jets out of Brooklyn because he's like, I don't want to get arrested. So he evades arrest and he ends up setting up shop in Providence, Rhode Island. He set up like a whole operation in Providence, but he did get caught pretty quickly and he was extradited back to New York to stand trial. So he's arrested in Rhode Island. He's extradited back to New York and he's on trial with Joseph Florino. And the two together are charged with and found guilty of murder in the first degree. Now, I don't really know how Joseph Florino is involved. Maybe it was like a two-on-two fight or a two-on-one fight. I don't really know. I just know that Joseph Florino is tied to Anastasio somehow in this trial. And he's getting charged and found guilty of murder in the first degree right along with Anastasio. Supreme Court Justice Van Sislin found the pair guilty and they were convicted of murder on May 25th, 1921. And when they were convicted, they were sentenced to death. Their execution date was set for just over a month in the future on July 3rd, 1921. 
The process of being executed back then was obviously much different than it is now. There wasn't the long and arduous appeals process. And the reason that the process is so different now is because of how many people that were not guilty of the crime that they were convicted of ended up being executed back then because they didn't have time to prove their innocence. One jury found them guilty, one judge sentenced them, and they were dead a month later. That is freaking wild. Since 1973, so we're talking like way past the day and age of Anastasio. So only 1973, only 60 years ago, there has been 190 people who have been executed. And then after they were already dead, were found to be not guilty and were fully exonerated. But the problem with that is that death is permanent. Yeah, cool. You say that they weren't guilty. You clear their name, but they're already dead. You can't bring them back. You can't undo that. So your exoneration of them after they're already dead doesn't really mean shit, does it? And that number of 190 is only the number of people that have been proven to be not guilty. Imagine how many people were actually not guilty of the crimes that they were executed for, but nobody in their lives fervently fought the government to overturn their sentence. According to the Equal Justice Initiative, for every eight people that are executed, one person on death row has been exonerated. And being exonerated means that they were found to have not committed the crime. And that's not including how many people had police do illegal shit to them. How many prosecutors did something fucked up in court that led the jury to find the person guilty when they shouldn't have? The justice system is filled with fucked up things that should not have happened, but it did. And when you have a process of a month between when you're found guilty and when you're executed, there's no hope for you. An additional 69 people have been released from death row since 1973 after evidence of their innocence emerged. Thank God that in those cases, the evidence emerged in time, but it easily could have come one minute too late. And the article stating those facts was released in 1997. So that's only a range of 1973 to 1997, a 24-year range. Those are pretty high numbers for 24 years. I don't know, man. I definitely think that there's some people that deserve to die for what they did, but I've never been able to really get on board with criminal justice executions. This is like a super taboo thing for me to say, but I have said since day one, I don't believe that the kid that was killed for the Boston bombing did it. So even in the cases where the public most feels like it's justified, I don't really think it is. I think with like 80% certainty that something's going to come out in 50 years from now showing that the government did something to have that kid be pinned for the crime. For what reason? I have absolutely no idea. And I'm really not going to get into it here why I feel that way. But like, yeah, I I just I don't believe it. I really don't. I'm sorry if that offends somebody or pisses someone off. But I've seen too many shady things happen to just believe something because they said so. So as for Anastasio and Florino, they were sent to Sing Sing Prison in Ossining, New York, and they were put on death row, which was referred to as the death house to wait for the death penalty. 
While in Sing Sing, Anastasio continually got into physical altercations, showing absolutely no signs of remorse or rehabilitation. And why would he? Like, why would you? You're going to be dead in a month. I'm not rehabilitating. I'm not remorseful. I'm going to be dead. Guess what? I'm going to go down swinging. I get that some people find religion and repent and want to make the last month of their life, I don't know, meaningful. But for me, I just see it as like, I'm not going to take no shit. And shit's going to be handed to you in prison, no matter who you are. So I don't really blame him. I don't know. But who the fuck am I? No one. So I don't matter. According to his brother, Salvatore, this was not Anastasio's kill. He claims that the real killer, a fellow Palmy villager, confessed that he was the one who actually killed the guy that was killed. Apparently, this man claimed that he was with Albert Anastasia at the port. A man shot the dude, and it was quicker to save Anastasio's life. Salvatore says, my brother didn't betray him, even in the face of the electric chair. So pretty much saying, like, yeah, he got the death penalty, and he still didn't tell who it was that actually killed that dude, but it wasn't him. And the dude that Salvatore's referring to could not have been Florino. Because he didn't name the person that told him this in the article. And it would kind of be silly not to name Florino. Obviously, everybody knew that Florino had some part in the killing. He got the death penalty for it. So it just doesn't make sense to say a fellow Palmy villager. Anastasia made friends with a man that was known as the Shiv, the barber in Sing Sing, who was a scout for the gangs outside of prison. The Shiv set Anastasia up with Lucky Luciano, an up-and-coming mob boss in New York, because of his roots with the Brooklyn Docks. And the Shiv knew that Anastasia's roots at the Docks would help bootlegging for Lucky during Prohibition. Plus, Anastasia's ruthless persona was very evident, so the Shiv calls up Luciano, and he's like, Hey, brother, like, I got a dude for you. I do. Only one problem. He is set to die in a month. And Lucky is like, okay, hold my beer. Watch this. Anastasia won a retrial in June of 1921 after Luciano hired lawyers to find a technicality in the original trial. When the retrial took place, four of the witnesses that the prosecution had used to put Anastasio behind bars had disappeared or completely changed their story. A new witness came out Joseph Giustra, who provided testimony that instantly destroyed the story of the prosecution. Both Anastasio and Florino had their original sentences immediately overturned. They weren't found not guilty. So that's an important distinction to make is that they were not found not guilty. What happened was the judge overturned the original sentence of guilty. And pretty much it just means that nothing ever happened. It was like they never went to court in the first place. So the state could still bring charges against Anastasio and Florino again, go through the entire trial again. But they knew there was no chance of getting a guilty again because the four people that they had used as witnesses had disappeared. They had been killed. And they've got this Joseph Chiustra who's on the stand and just so happens to be a friend of Lucky's. And he's on the stand like, oh, yeah, I was there. They didn't do it. I don't know who the guy was. It was just some random dude that didn't work 
at the docks. I never saw his face before. I never saw his face since then. But it definitely wasn't Anastasia or Florino. They had nothing to do with it. So the prosecution is now in a position where they're given this case and they're like, okay, the original guilty is overturned. If you want to try it again, you can. But they're like, oh, hell no. Like, I'm not going to get a guilty verdict again. So they just did not pursue it again. Both men were immediately released, walking out of the jail an instant celebrity as the men who survived the electric chair in the underground world. And Anastasio and Florino, they would go on to be friends for like years. You'll hear Florino's name in a bunch of different stories about Anastasio. So Florino, I mean, Anastasio is the one that walks out as, you know, the one that beat the electric chair. He is the infamous one. Florino is just kind of like along for the ride. He is Anastasia's tag along, I guess. I don't know. During this prison sentence, Albert Anastasio changed his name to Anastasia. He claims that it was done so that he could keep his family out of the spotlight because... His brother Salvatore had come to America and his brother Salvatore is a priest. And now Anastasio is like, well, you know, if my name is in the papers, that's going to kind of suck for my priest brother. So he changes it to Anastasia. Now, more than likely, this was done, first of all, to kind of make it a little more Americanized. He probably also had the extra motivation to just make it a little bit more of a headache for everybody. The newspapers, the cops that are finding him guilty, everybody's going to have a little bit of a headache trying to figure out what this dude's name is. And Anastasia is obviously going to get off on this. So yeah, he can say like, oh, I wanted to protect my brother. But in reality, it really is done to try to fuck with anybody that's coming after him. Anastasia left prison as a free man with an insane, insatiable thirst for blood, a newfound notoriety in the New York underworld, and a debt to pay to Luciano. I got a pillow to sit on. I put it on my chair so I'd be higher up so I didn't have to like sit Indian style. So if you see me like lounging like this, it's because I'm freaking tired. It's 4.15 in the morning. So I'm going to keep recording because I have way too much to stop right now. I'm like not far in enough. I'm only on slide eight and I have 45. So we're not going to stop right now, but I'm just going to be a little lazy. I'm going to rest my head. Okay. So the Castella Marese War broke out, which was a war between Joe Masseria and Salvatore Maranzano. I go a lot further into this war in my video about Lucky Luciano. So go check that video out. It's linked in my description. So if you want to see the dynamics of that bloodbath, go check that video out. But Anastasia joined a group in the Castella Marese War called the Young Turks. The Young Turks were a group within the two factions of younger gangsters who fought to modernize the American Mafia. Anastasia was a member of the Young Turks, and he was also a member of the group that ended up assassinating Masseria in order to end the war. Anastasia, working on the docks on behalf of the Italian Mafia to assist with bootlegging operations, stealing, all that good stuff, eventually rose to power at the docks. He became the leader of the International Longshoremen's Association, or the ILA. This legitimate enterprise controlled all of the labor unions in Brooklyn. 
I've said a few times on this channel that I feel like the ducks are a gateway career. The way that smoking weed is a gateway drug, working on the ducks as a longshoreman is a gateway career. I swear it is. It's a gateway career into a life of crime. I have seen so many mobsters list dock working as previous employment on their resume. And the Longshoremen's Association, or the ILA, it's notoriously riddled with crime, and it's a very well-known stepping stone into organized crime. So I don't know if people that have a tendency to lean towards criminal enterprises, they just so happen to work at the docks, or if somebody wants to get into organized crime, they go out and get a job at the docks. I don't really know what steps are taken, but it ends up working out, I promise. On April 29th, 1923, Anastasia was driving a car with Biago Giordano. Anastasia was 26 years old at the time, and Giordano was 46 years old. As they drove down Sackett Street, they were, like, minding their own goddamn business. These boys were not doing anything wrong. They're just driving along. Dudes pull some JFK assassination type shit, and they start shooting from the ground floor apartments of a tenement building at 230 Sackett Street in Brooklyn, which is wild. Imagine driving and getting shot at, and you're like looking for a car or you're looking for somebody standing on the street and there's nobody. Imagine what they had to have gone through to set it up so that they were in an apartment that this car was going to pass. At the time, in tenement buildings in Brooklyn, you can get to neighboring buildings from inside those tenement buildings. The dudes that shot at them just fled the building by going to a neighboring building. And once they went to the neighboring building, they were able to escape because everybody's looking at the exits of the building that they're in. They're not looking at the exits of the building next door. And they were able to get out pretty easily. Sorry, I gotta lower my hands because I talk with my hands and my camera is getting confused. I try not to have too much movement because my camera will like focus and defocus. And sometimes you guys will see that like my camera will defocus and I'll be fuzzy for a few seconds. And that usually happens just when I move too much. So when I have my hands on screen and I talk with my hands, like I talk with my hands all the time right now, I'm, I'm talking with my hands. But when my hands are on camera, it's bad because... Focus will not be held. <laughs> this shooting that took place, 250 people saw the shooting happen, and not one person was able to produce any type of witness testimony. Not one out of 250. When police entered the apartments where the shots were fired from, they were able to find a revolver and a rifle, which would turn out to be the only clues of this shooting. Something that's super cute in this article that was written in 1923. So I don't know if like it was a typo or just because like spell check wasn't a thing yet, but they spelled the word clues, C-L-E-W-S. I wonder if it's like a color type of situation. Like in America, it's spelled color, C-O-L-O-R. But in England, it's spelled C-O-L-O-U-R. I don't know if it's only if there's an S at the end. So maybe it's C-O-L-O-R-S, C-O-L-O-U-R-S. I don't really know which one it is. But I wonder if maybe back then clues was spelt that way. I don't know. I think it's cute, though. I like that spelling. C-L-E-W-S. It's like claws. I don't know if you could tell, but I'm very easily entertained. 
So it's extremely clear that Google is not a thing back then because they got like everything wrong in that article. The newspaper article says that the shooting may have been due to a feud that grew out of the 1919 killing of Charles Chichero, a restaurant proprietor near the spot that they were shot at on Sackett Street. The article states that Anastasia was convicted of the crime, but obtained a new trial, and later the case was dismissed in the Supreme Court. Now, if you've been paying attention to this episode, we know that mostly everything I just stated is not true. Anastasia killed Joe Torella, a fellow longshoreman, in 1921, and he was arrested, convicted, and that was overturned. I don't know how they got so many things wrong, but they definitely got a lot wrong. This was in like the Daily News, so it's not some like TMZ rag. It's it's a legit newspaper. So I guess it just goes to show you that fake news is a time-honored tradition carried on through the ages. Because like, how many people do you think read that and truly thought that Anastasia killed a dude named Charles Chichero? During the shooting, Anastasia caught a buckshot to the left side, and Giordano caught four pistol shots, three to the left hip and one in the left shoulder. Giordano did not make it through. So when they say the left shoulder, I'm willing to bet that left shoulder shot hit the heart because he didn't make it and you don't die from a shoulder and hip wound. On June 6, 1923, he was sentenced to two years in prison for illegal possession of a firearm. During this time, the underground world is changing. They're organizing together and they're putting together an organization that works more in the line of profits and less for bloodshed. The National Crime Syndicate, the Commission, and the five families had been officially established, and they had designated turf and divvied up profits, so there is no fighting among each other anymore for what turf is whose. And No, everything is laid out, and if you're fighting, it's because someone put a hit out on you or something. Like, you're not fighting over that corner there because it makes me money and your guys are on it. Like, no, everything is equally lined out, and you know where you are supposed to be. Anastasia was indicted for murder when he killed another man with an ice pick in 1932, but nobody was willing to testify, so the case was dismissed. You know what I just realized? I am wearing totally relevant sweatpants, and I haven't even shown you guys. Like, I'm sitting here, like, hugging my knees to my chest, having not shown you guys the awesome sweatpants I have on right now. So let me see if I could pull it off, because I want you guys to see. So you could see... They say Italy, and you got a little, little green and red. Nice, right? I love them. Those are Timu official, okay? You can get the same pair on Timu, super cheap, but I am in love with them. I saw them, I'm like, oh my God, did they make those for me? Buying it, there was no choice. I was purchasing that. Anastasia was indicted again in 1933, only one year later, and this time it was also on murder charges, and it was a man that worked in a laundry this time around. But same old song and dance, no witnesses, nobody saw nothing, nobody talked, no crime, no time, and he walked away. 
Prohibition came to a close in 1933, and with the loss of Prohibition also came the loss of the lucrative bootlegging operation. It's legal in America. What are you going to do? You can't smuggle it anymore. It's legal. It's going to be in every gas station in 7-Eleven again. People got arrested in, like, the 50s and 60s for illegal alcohol production. I don't know why, but they did. Can you imagine 1950, like imagine now getting arrested for illegal alcohol production out here making some like fucking moonshine in the middle of the country and then you get arrested for illegal alcohol production. What? In 1937, Anastasia married Elsa Bargnesi. Together, they had four children, two boys, Umberto and Richard, and two girls, Joanna and Gloriana. I have seen so many people say that he only had one child, Umberto. And I think the reason for that is that he had Umberto and then waited a while and then had Richard and the two girls. So maybe they're reporting on the time after he had Umberto and before he had the other three. I don't really know where the disconnect is, but he had four. Honestly, so many people reported that he only had one son, Umberto, that like I started to think that maybe he really only had one kid and the people that were reporting for were mistaken. But then I found an article written in the Washington Post about this dude that was friends with Albert Anastasia's daughter, Gloriana, who moved away with her mother after Anastasia died. So... I think it's fair to assume that, yeah, there's four. There's definitely four. Stop gaslighting me. The National Crime Syndicate organized like a corporation. Like they were a straight up company. And with that comes departments. Luciano, who appreciated Anastasia's loyalty, had teamed him up with Louis Lepke Buchalter, a top-earning labor racketeer in Meyer Lansky's mafia. And he put the two of them together and said, hey, here you go, Murder, Inc. And together, they formed Murder, Inc. These two together led the group, also known as the Brownsville Boys, of Italian and Jewish mafia hitmen, which honestly, there was more Jewish than Italian. There was a lot more Jewish mafia members than Italian. The Italians would kill the Jewish guys and vice versa. So the families don't suspect that it's actually inter-family killing. So like, okay, you're in the Gambino family and you want one of your fellow Gambinos dead. But you don't want all the other Gambinos to be pissed off at you when they find out that you're the one that did it. So what do you do? You hire someone that has nothing to do with you or any of your friends. It can't be tracked back to you. And just so happens there's this little organization known as Murder Incorporated where you can have somebody in the Jewish mafia do it. And people that don't even know that Murder, Inc. exists, which is like a big part of the mafia, they don't even know Murder, Inc. exists. They just know that a Jewish person killed their friend. Like, they don't know that it was actually an Italian that ordered it. Murders carried out by strangers are a lot harder to track than when you use people that you know. That's just a fact. His time in Murder, Inc. gained him a few new nicknames. The most popular were the Mad Hatter, because he's, like, insane, and the Lord High Executioner, because he had absolutely no guilt about the people that he murdered. And he liked killing people. Like, it was weird. He had, like, a glee in his eyes when he did it. Like, he was just, like, excited 
Oh, threaten me with a good time. It's estimated that during its 10 years of operation, Murder, Inc. committed thousands of murders, most which went unsolved forever. Their base of operations was above the Midnight Rose Candy Store in Brooklyn. Under Anastasia's rule, hits were organized, they were professional, and they were efficient. Murder orders were called contracts, and there was an advertising budget, symbols of why somebody died. When Murder, Inc. was created, the commission created a strict set of rules to go along with it. The chief rule was, thou shall not kill a boss. Some other rules were you don't kill civilians because it brings too much heat onto the family, and you don't kill policemen, journalists, judges, politicians, prosecutors, anybody in an official capacity because all of their friends are going to come after you afterwards. Now, Anastasia has a whole company. He has Murder, Inc. This is an entire group of dudes that are perfectly built, willing, and able to go carry out hits for him. He doesn't have to lift a finger. These guys exist to do whatever he says. He doesn't have to go out. It would be not only understandable, expected for Anastasia to begin ordering murders from his personal group of killers, but he didn't do that. He enjoyed killing people. Regardless of the power that he found within Murder, Inc., he would always continue to execute contracts on his own, just for the thrill of it. He just liked it. It was fun for him. And to a degree, I kind of get it, because, like, there's people that have, like, shoplifting addictions. And I think at the root of that, that's not really, like, a shoplifting addiction. I think it's more of, like, the adrenaline rush of, like, oh, I could get caught... Those are the kind of people that, like, they like having sex outdoors, that kind of shit. Fucking putting themselves in a position where they could get caught, like, those kind of people. Everybody pursues an adrenaline rush in their own way. Now, that is not saying that I excuse Anastasia or that I support him killing people. I don't. I think it's definitely wrong. People ask me all the time, like, how... Could you have anything but, like, hatred for these dudes? They're serial killers. They're this and they're that. And, like, yes. Yes, they are. And that's bad. That's definitely bad. But you also have to consider that these guys aren't out there, like, finding random little girls and asking them to go to their car and tricking them. That's not what happens. Anastasia carries out hits for the families. These are made men or associates, whatever, that are in the life and they know exactly what they're getting into. So yes, he's a serial killer, but he's never killed a woman. He's never killed a child and he doesn't really kill civilians. There's one case that I've heard of that supposedly he killed a civilian. I don't know if I fully believe it. We will go over that situation. But for the most part, I think we can all agree that he carried out hits for the families like that's what murder inc was for so that's the way that i kind of not excuse but not even justify deal with it i guess so anyways yeah anastasia likes killing people he is still fully going out and executing these contracts on his own even though he has a whole hit squad working for him and like waiting for the orders to go do it he's still like nah don't not without me i want to go too and he goes too although he is 
a ruthless killer, there's a famous saying about him. He was known as a street devil and a house angel. His family did not see the merciless side of him at all. He was a completely different person the minute he walked into his home. He and Elsa built a sprawling mansion in Fort Lee, New Jersey for $70,000. He made it home every night for dinner. Anastasia was the type, like, when people ask me why I favor Anastasia, it's because he would go to a park and there would be women there and they would know who Albert Anastasia is. He's this big, scary mobster and he'd have a gun hanging out of the back of his pants and everybody knows he's strapped. But women would walk up to him and like, hey, Albert, um, I have to go grocery shopping. Is there any way that you could watch my three-year-old kid for a half hour? And he'd be like, yeah, no problem. Like women trusted him. Because he would never hurt a child. If anything, they're way safer under Anastasia's care than anybody else's. Because he would die to protect that kid that he's watching. And while he's merciless and has no problem and actually enjoys himself killing somebody, at the same time, he's not crazy. He doesn't have a hairpin trigger. He doesn't go from zero to a hundred. He is methodical. There's a reason for his madness. And if there's a reason for your madness, I can usually get on board. If it's a sound reason, okay? You know, not, oh, there's a reason. And well, it's because the voices in my head told me so. You know, like, it has to be a reasonable reason, okay? In June of 1935, Herbert H. Lemon, governor of New York, appointed Thomas Dewey, along with his ADA Eunice Carter, female type, as a special prosecutor to combat organized crime in New York City. When Dewey started to investigate Luciano, Anastasia also came under the limelight. Dewey was brilliant. And he had more power, maybe even than J. Edgar Hoover. With his focus solely pointed on the families, Anastasia started to seriously consider assassinating him. Before he could make any moves or do anything, the commission called on him and told him that he was not to make a move on Dewey. One of the cardinal rules is that you don't kill police, prosecutors, anything like that, because it would have brought down heat on the entire leadership of the mafia. You kill a prosecutor and every prosecutor from here to California is going to be coming down on the mafia. Anastasia did not make a move against Dewey, but Dewey soon arrested Luciano and sentenced him to 30 to 50 years in prison for compulsory prostitution. And as soon as he finished with him, he started going after Anastasia's partner, Louis Lepke Buchwalter. The syndicate is pretty much what we know now as the commission. So it's not like the syndicate just immediately wrote off the idea of killing Dewey. It's not the commission. It's not what we know now as the commission. The syndicate is pretty much just a group of really powerful people because to say that it's what we know now as the commission would be false because in the syndicate is including Meyer Lansky, Louis Lepke, Buchwalter, a bunch of Jewish mafia. So I can't say it's the commission. The syndicate is pretty much just a group of the most important gangsters in all of organized crime. It's the commission of organized crime, where the commission is a group of the most powerful people in the Italian mafia. The syndicate is a group of the most powerful organized crime figures. 
I think that's the best way that I can explain that. It's hard. It's hard to understand these different groups that they've got. The Young Turks and the Mustache Peets and the Commission and the Syndicate. And they've got a whole bunch of things. Murder, Inc. There's, there, there's things all over. So, you know, it gets a little difficult to explain sometimes. <laughs> Gets a little difficult to understand sometimes, to be honest, okay? But if Anastasia had any ideas of disobeying the order to not kill Dewey, the situation of what happened with Dutch Schultz probably dissuaded him on its own. Members of the syndicate included Lucky Luciano, Meyer Lansky, Louis Lepke Bucalter, Jacob Gura Shapiro, Frank Costello, and Vito Genovese. When Schultz wanted to take out Dewey, and we'll talk about why in a few minutes, he had his reasons. So when he wanted to take out Dewey, he brought it before the syndicate. And surprisingly, there was division among most of the important men within the mafia on whether or not to do it. It was so divided right then and there that the men delayed the decision. And they even started to put in place a plan to take Dewey out if they decided to go that way. They told Anastasia, who had come to be known as the overlord of organized crime, to create a plan and then present it to the group and they would give the okay or don't do it. Anastasia's attention to detail and willingness to take matters into his own hands made him the perfect person to plan and execute such an important hit as the special prosecutor that made it his life's mission to take down the biggest names in organized crime, known as Dewey. Dewey caught wind that some important guys in the mafia were throwing around the idea of whether or not to kill him. He also heard that there was a $25,000 bounty that had been set on his head, and he was in imminent danger. He begrudgingly accepted a bodyguard to start following him around. He didn't want to do it. Now, Dewey knew, like, when he started coming after these really, really big names in the mafia, he knew that there was going to be some blowback on him. He's not stupid. Which is why he was so hesitant to take a bodyguard. He's like, I knew what I was doing when I did this. I started this. I know. I know what I'm getting into. I don't need a bodyguard. I don't need to be protected because if they kill me, I'll just turn out to be a freaking martyr. Like, I'll be just like those judges in Italy where the mafia killed them and there were signs all over the place that says their ideas walk on our legs. Like, if they kill me, I will be the martyr that takes the entire mafia down. And I'm okay with that. But this is imminent danger. There is proven proof that he has a bounty on his head. They're trying to kill him. So he's like, all right, fine. I'll take a stupid bodyguard, whatever. Now, Anastasia is tasked with figuring out a way to kill Dewey. And he takes the time to learn everything about Dewey. He watches him from a distance for a really long time. He learned his routines. He watched him like a hawk. And eventually he started to move closer because he's watching from like across the street, two blocks down, and he starts to move closer and closer to try to remain anonymous, but to be able to see exactly what's going on. All right, everybody, I think that's where I'm going to stop for today. As I said, I know that this is going to be a three-part series. I have a lot left to go. So I hope that this was a good introduction. You're kind of into it. And I think that the second episode is where we're going to get into like the meat and potatoes of this episode. But 
please come back and watch episode two and three. I really hope you guys like this episode. Uh, we'll see if we're ever going to do a part two and three again with this, I guess. Please don't forget to like, share, subscribe, follow, comment, do all the things. And I'll see you next week. Bye.